I don't know if you can hear it when I'm talking or pick it out between the rumbly snores of my French bulldog Bruno below. But there is a particular joy that comes with sharing something you've experienced. And because of it, you want to share it with others. That's the feeling I have every time I have an opportunity to record a new episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. This is episode number 57. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. Happy to be with you. Really excited to talk about a great selection of books from DC Comics. I'm loving the feeling of the return to the parts of our lives that can still lend a sense of normalcy, even when other parts of our lives are still out of our control. In that way, it's an amazing experience to go through these books, read them, pick out what I think are the best of the best, and share them here with you. It's what we do each and every week. We'll do a couple, take an ad break, wrap things up, and along the way, I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts about each and every book we pick. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive into my first choice. Man, a basket full of heads. Okay, I added the A. It's really just basket full of heads. But despite the snoring in the background of little Bruno, who already had his walk and is a bit tuckered out, there's some thrilling storytelling that's been going on in this book. Uh, kudos to Joe Hill, to his writing and the storytelling that the uh, Joe Hill line has brought to DC Comics. Kudos as well to illustrations by Leo Max, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Darren Bennett, a original cover by Reiko Murakami, and a variant cover by Gabriel Rodriguez. They're both great. I mean, if you've been getting this series, if you know that it's going to be an amazing experience and you love great art, which this book is in no way ever short of, I would say get both. When it comes to certain books, that's just what I do. No shame involved. A lot of pride, actually. So we pick up with June, who has been through quite the harrowing experience, and the storytelling has built so much of what felt like really wonderful foreshadowing and ominous premises in the early stages. And then it just charges forward. By the time she gets her hands on that axe and we see what she's capable of and learn some of the humorous and horrifying consequences of using it, June becomes unstoppable. Here she is relentless. She breaks free from a underwater trap in which she's bound and tossed overboard. And when she does break free, man, the way she exacts her vengeance, well, I don't know if you just heard that little noise, but that was Bruno's excitement in response, perhaps breaking through the, uh, the doldrum of his nap. What June is able to do as she continues charging forward, as she makes not only vengeful decisions, but horrifying discoveries, 
is the power of an amazing woman who, <laughs> no matter what she's going through, never loses sight of who she is, despite the fact that all those around her clearly have, and in doing so have lost their judgment. And because she's the one holding the axe, they're suffering for it. Um, the art is phenomenal. The feeling of the outside, stormy, gray, overcast seascape, the dullish blue-gray of the waters, the way the sky and waters can blend together at times, with just the dottings of the seascape cities, the yellows, the, <laughs> the sort of gloom and the shadowing and shading that makes the transitions back to the outside while blue and gray just as monotone and dreary. Overall, it's a really powerful work and a great combination. And there is something specific about the way tone is captured with the great letters by Darren Bennett. I'm going to really say if you haven't picked this one up from the beginning, but if you have and you've been enjoying it along with me, then... Well, I would say cheer, shout, and maybe even jump around a bit because, man, this is a great book. This is a wonderful five out of five. I love that it's something that Joe Hill created and now he's writing. And of course, for those of you who've been enjoying it, there's another chapter, number 25 of The Sea Dogs. Well, if you know how good it is and you've been enjoying it, Look forward to another great chapter. If you haven't, take a, take a glance at an introduction. It might be the one that encourages you to find all those other chapters that preceded it. And with that, my first book, a five out of five, basket full of heads out of the way. Let's go ahead and move to my second. And for that second choice, we're continuing with the Hill House theme. For my second choice, I went with The Low, Low Woods, number five. This has been a, a really moving, compelling, and beautifully original story from Carmen Maria Machado and Joe Hill, providing the story, writing, art by Dan McDade and Danny Strips. Um, <laughs> there, there's a lot of credit to go around. And it's a, a lot of fun to, to read through this and recognize just how many parts of it are something you could see going in a typical direction. And every time they take the road less traveled, it really makes for, uh, for a really, well, great experience for all of us. Also want to include on the credits, Tom Rabonvillain and recognize how this story is very heartbreaking. It's powerful. It's also adult content. I mean, thankfully, this is Black Label. It's making a point that this is not for younger audiences, that there's a specific age group that should be reading this. And that's really important because you can feel the emotional weight and the degree of trauma that's being addressed. Shudder to think is a place where Ellen and Octavia have grown up 
and been exposed to a mystery, one that haunts them, one that makes them feel that they have been violated, even though they have no memory. And that's one of the great troubles for them. They have done their best to pay attention to the clues, the monsters crawling out of the ground, the deer-like creatures who defy description and one scene can never leave their memories. And they've met a young girl who looks like a girl but isn't a girl, a witch with a story from a time when the place where the kids like to party, heaven on earth, used to be something else, when it used to be a sanatorium. And I love the introduction about the sanatorium, about the story, about talking about how sometimes you have to listen to someone else's story, and how this young girl's story intertwines with that of a resident of the sanatorium. How through this discovery, a young girl began to practice magic and then understand how the waters of the town are so deadly that they should never be enjoyed, should never part your lips because of the terrible consequences. And the young girl's discovery of an antithesis, something that can combat that, is not only a powerful discovery, but a haunting revelation that exposes the depths of the lies even she had not considered were a part of her story. And once she learned what they were, how things rapidly and aggressively were spurred forward, how the town of Shudder to Think suffered, how its women were treated, and the terrible decisions she made in the hopes of trying to make things right. Ellen and Octavia are stunned, heartbroken, moved, and also experiencing emotions they can't completely address, let alone process. But what they do do is stick together, return home, and discover that one of their friends is probably in grave danger. Their only choice is to take the antithesis with them, the antidote, and potentially provide an opportunity to save their friend from something they believe they've suffered and that they know so many other women in their town have also suffered. The art team does an amazing job of capturing the past in these really powerful, derelict, haunting, and imaginative red hues with dark tints, shadows, and a, a filter that feels vintage and yet at the same time obscured in heavy shadows and a darkness that just won't go away. There's a mystical presence that's addressed in this time that's wonderfully uh, spread out in a, in a beautiful full-page spread. And these are just a few of the great offerings that the Lolo Woods 
provides. What it is leading to is, I think, more than just exposing this discovery. I think it's leading to an opportunity for these two girls to try and make right what others have been unable to do. I'm looking forward to following this story through to its end, seeing just how it is that Ellen Octavia can have a different future than those who came before them and shudder to think. And also with that understanding that with original storytelling, the best part is going to be the experience of that discovery and the wonder of the choices that are made that make it such a great discovery. This one was a clear five out of five and a great intro to this episode of DC Comics News Spinner Rack. That was our second book, which means we're going to take that ad break. Go ahead and keep you up to date on all the things going here, going on here at DC Comics News. Let you know how you might become involved and come on back for my third, fourth, and fifth choices. Thanks for your patience. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News podcast. Here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Gogur. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat on me, nards. I definitely do not in need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents... Mad Love. The Harley Quinn Cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. F***ers. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. 
just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the night. And like that, faster than the flash, quicker than a blink, the ads have come and gone, and we're back. I'm here with episode number 57 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. We're going to dive into my third choice, and a book that I genuinely have a lot of fun sharing when I get the chance to have it here on the Spinner Rack. I'm talking about The Terrifics. We're in issue number 27, and in a story that is, well, quite a treat. Something known as The Day Simon Stagg Died, Part 2. Writer Jean Luen Yang brings out some of my favorite DC Comics characters for a great appearance as the Tea Council. Now, they're matched, and this story is perfectly complemented by pencils from Sergio Davila, inks from Vincente Cifuentes, colors by Proto Bunker, letters by Tom Napolitano, a, a really great cover from Dan Mora, and a package that is one that any comics fan should and would enjoy if you have a, well, a great love for classic characters on a really fun team and the appearance of some other legendary names. This is the book for you. The Tea Council. Well, you've got Ryan Choi the Atom. You've got Mr. Blue Beetle himself, Ted Cord. You've got Man Bat. You've got Tesla Strong, Dr. Veritas. And overall, the Tea Council is there to uh, provide support. Simply put, Mr. Terrific needs some help. And among the team are one of the first people that he ever approached, Dr. Silas Stone. Silas is part of the Tea Council and a bit of a gruff edge, one that introduces the consequences of Mr. Terrific's decision not to work with Silas after he had gone through his Olympic trials and experiences and decided not to partner with the father of Victor Stone, but instead seek his own course. And that's created some friction with the appearance of Stone and the Tea Council. But what's really going on here is the fact that Simon Stagg has been taken. They discover that Plastic Man's son has been drastically transformed, and he's not alone. The issue starts off with a big fight between a number of terrifying creatures and some great quips between Blue Beetle and Man Bat. A decision to split the team is based on the fact that there are also missing passengers who need to be found. The Tea Council heads after the voices that might be the passengers while the Terrifics continue to follow Plastic Man's son, Luke. And there's some beautiful stuff from the creatures in the beginning to this underground subterranean. That's a bit redundant there. But these tunnels with uh, something growing inside, 
something that they're not quite prepared for. And also the discovery that Simon Stagg has made a deal he's now paying for, one that has dire and drastic consequences, one that reveals an underworld, a kingdom of Sleroku. I hope I'm saying that right. I hope Sleroku doesn't come to get me. If he does, well, you know what happened to me, and the reason's probably why. I know I've got it coming. I butchered enough names. I accept it. However, Sleraku has made his deal with Simon Stagg, and the consequences are something that the Terrifics must rage against. And even so, there's more to this story than just the rescue of the father of Metamorphos, love. There's the responsibility of the passing of her father, and if he can't be saved, what this will mean for a daughter who will inherit a company she wants nothing to do with. Always enjoy when there's many layers going on in storytelling, and when there's a great combination of classic characters, new favorites, and the wonderful understanding of how much attention needs to be paid to each. This is a great story, a great experience, one that I'm happy to share with you as my third choice here on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, and a great 5 out of 5 to change the tone slightly from the Lolo Woods and the Basketful of Heads that started us off, and also to remind us of the many options that are available when it comes to your weekly choices from DC Comics. Let's go ahead and move into my fourth choice, while my French Bulldog Bruno continues to snore in the background. Now, unfortunately, it can't all be Sunshine Roses, classic characters, and G-Wiz, Pop Bang, Bamf Woof. Keeping in mind the fact that things don't always work out the way we want, is a great opportunity to talk about my fourth choice, Deceased, Hope at World's End, Chapter 1. Tom Taylor is writing yet another How It All Falls Apart and erodes and changes and is violent and bloody in the process. Bringing this story to life is art by Dustin Wynn, colors by Rex Locus, letters by Saida Timofante, and a great original cover by Ben Oliver. I really enjoy how this story opens in a dark room with Jimmy Olsen. And the fact that he says he never wanted to be a war photographer, and yet this seems surprising in one way because of how close to the action Jimmy Olsen has so often been. And then at the other, it's not terribly surprising when you keep in mind all the antics that Jimmy has gotten up to in the issues of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen that have appeared on the spinner rack. The story starts off two weeks ago, at the beginning of the anti-life equation that begins taking over the world. Jimmy is in the Daily Planet. He watches Perry White turn first, and then does his best to keep those from the planet who haven't been infected from suffering a similar fate. His description, the really heavy tone 
that's expressed. Granted, it's not always easy to pick up with Bruno in the background there snoring. But trust me, when you flip through these pages, the shading, the inks, they, they lend a weight and a gravity to the storytelling and to what this means. It, it really comes to light when even Superman is solemn and heavily shadowed. And as Jimmy describes it, shocked by the destruction in Metropolis and by the feeling he and so many others have to see a crack appear in the Man of Steel. If you've been following the events of Deceased, you know there's a new Green Lantern. There are survivors who are teaming up, and they're working to try and provide a future. Of course, there's Jimmy, capturing it all, and clearly suffering some consequences, as is glimpsed in the final pages, his normal physical appearance has been altered and hopefully we'll get some more insight into how that occurred but the final pages also point to the fact that this is just the beginning and that next is the prelude to the anti-life war i don't know if my talking or this story concept or just a deeper sleep is what has bruno rumbling even louder and yet at the same time, I know, no matter what the distractions outside might be, when you're reading this story, they'll all seem to fade away, and what's left is one of those experiences that you come out of, look around and wonder just how much time has really passed. A great five out of five book for me, one that I'm happy to share here with you on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, and the uh, prelude to our fifth and final choice. And for my fifth and final choice, well, I had to go a bit magic with Books of Magic, number 19. This was a really fun story written by David Barnett. I love the layouts from Tom Fowler, the finishes from Craig Talifer. Colors by Marissa Louise are rich. Um, the letters by Todd Klein are really expressive. And the cover, <laughs> there's a, a really great, it's not quite vintage, but it feels very artistic. It feels almost painted. And, well, it's a prelude to, oh, I like that word apparently, this episode. It's a prelude to all of the great things contained with it. Uh, for starters, we have a great reference to uh, Purple Acid from the 90s and a barter that is made and also a new friend that Tim Hunter, Mr. Timothy Hunter, discovers. He's doing his best not to follow his urges and desires to practice magic, to be more responsible. But at the same time, he simply can't fight the temptation when well, Izzy sort of pushes his buttons well enough that he finally relents and decides to visit Glastonbury. It should be a music festival. Instead, the festival 
is not what he or Izzy expects. They discover a variety of creatures and a very interesting stranger named Twig, one who has been living in this place since 1990. Apparently, it has something to do with the purple acid, the wonderful transformation between worlds, and the arrival of a character from the beginning of this issue who has suffered for many years and now, upon return, has decided to rule this place and never let anyone go. There's a few more surprises locked away in Books of Magic number 19, but I think they're for you to discover, and the discovery will be, I think, a very eye-opening experience. The transition from the streets of England and the, the mundane sort of feel of the city world and its trappings are, well, greatly challenged by the otherworldly nature of the characters and the landscape, the colors of the sky, of the festival. It's a very rich, enveloping experience, one that is matched not only by the great storytelling, but by its equal in the artistic team that supports it, brings it to life on the page, and really make this such a fun example of all the best that's possible in the Sandman universe. I really enjoyed this issue of Books of Magic. I love the, the sort of threat of danger, and yet also the whimsical experiences that try to pull us away from it, and then somehow always return to it. I really enjoy sharing these kinds of stories. It's one of the reasons that makes Spinner Racks such a great time for me. It's a five out of five book. It's my final choice. And with that, we bring this episode, episode number 57, that is, to a close. Again, I've been your host, Seth Singleton. When it comes to anything we've talked about here on the Spinner Rack, you can let me know what you're thinking on all the social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or more. All you have to do is use the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S. And when you use that tag, you can let us know what you're thinking. Know that the message is getting directly to us and that we're excited to hear what you're thinking, what your questions are, what your compliments or concerns might be, and the chance to give you our best answers. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to DC Comics News, its podcast network, on the podcast platform you're listening on. We're available on all the big ones from Apple to Google Podcast and Stitcher. But whatever platform you're listening on, if you haven't yet, please go ahead, subscribe, rate and review. If we're five stars, tell us why. If we're not, tell us how we can get closer. And know that when you do, you not only guarantee that you never miss an episode of DC Comics News Spinner Rack, 
but you'll also catch great content like the weekly DC Comics News podcast channel and the great weekly content of movies, television, streaming, comics, and more that the team of Steve J. Ray, Brad Felicki, Kelly Gaines, and sometimes a few other guests like Kendra Hale are able to share their thoughts about all the great news stories, developments, and conversations happening when it comes to DC Comics. I'd also encourage you to keep in mind that this gives you a chance to catch all the newest content from I Am The Night, an episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series by our very own Mr. Steve J. Ray, or Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast, an adults-only look at the very funny, outrageous, and sometimes just absurd Harley Quinn television show on DC Universe. Once again, if you subscribe, you'll get a chance to catch all of the previous episodes and all the new ones from great content like the ones I just described and new offerings we're looking forward to bringing to you here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network. I've been your host, Seth Singleton. You can find me out there in the wild world, whether it's writing reviews for DC Comics News, here hosting the Spinner Rack or if you want to find me in social media on Twitter, one more singleton, Instagram, Seth the Writer, or for something cuter, check out my dogs page, Bruno and Fiji. They're cute, they're lovable, and you can finally figure out who that snoring creature in the background is, what they look like, and once you see it's a French bulldog, it'll probably make more sense. That's it for me this time around. Can't wait to come back to you with episode number 58. Until then, as we like to say here, read more comics.